Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday, and welcome to the second episode of I Take Bravo Very Seriously. I'm so excited to get this episode out to you guys. Honestly, I may even do more than once a week episodes because there are so many shows to cover. I was thinking about you guys all weekend. Um, I might be working on a bonus episode on Natalia Grace. And because there's just so much content out there and I just want to share it with you guys, I I just think I will. So let's see what we can do. Um, I am going to say I'm not going to be able to get to the Real Housewives of Miami. It just comes on too late. So as I've mentioned to you guys on last episode, I record on Wednesdays. Beverly Hills in Miami airs from 9 to 11 Wednesday nights, and this comes out Thursday at midnight, right? So I'm going to get Beverly Hills done, but Miami is just too late. I don't think I'm going to be able to get to it. Um, so I'm going to try and figure out a way to do that because I don't want you guys to lose out on your content. Um, so maybe I'll do like a bonus pop-up episodes on Miami every week um, the in the days following the episode. I'll figure it out, but don't you guys worry. Um, So today we have some amazing topics. We've got the Summer House trailer to discuss, and then I didn't think we had Rachel Goes Rogue because she didn't release her second episode, but then we had Sam Faher um, from Winter House, Summer House on the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast with Amanda Hirsch on Tuesday, so I recap that. And then late uh, Tuesday night, Rachel releases Rachel Goes Rogue, so I'm going to be recapping um, her second episode of Rachel Goes Rogue as well. And we also are going to talk about Real Housewives of Potomac, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and News of the Week. So let's get into the episode. Defeats! Proof! Timeline! Screenshot! Okay, guys, we finally got a Summer House trailer. Thank the Lord. I have been dying and waiting for this. So it basically starts off with the end of the season, right? The fight between Carl and Lindsay where they break up. And we know that this conversation happened post-filming, post-Labor Day. So the last weekend that the show was filming was Labor Day. Then a few days later, allegedly, Carl calls the cameras to be picked back up to blindside Lindsay and break up with her on camera in their apartment. So it starts with Carl saying, I want you to trust me. He's saying, I'm not happy. I don't think you are either. He's saying, you feel you need to have all the power and you're gifted at playing the victim. He also tells the camera he thought she would react a little bit differently. Then you see Lindsay on the phone with her dad saying Carl wants to call off the wedding and he wants to break up. Then Carl tells the camera she's going to pretend to be blindsided. Then Lindsay says, it's like I'm blindsided. (laughs) And so you see the way that they're even just sort of playing this up or the way that producers are sort of catering this is Carl centered, right? You can see this early on that they're setting this up to make Carl look like the victim and Lindsay like the bad guy. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just, it's very set up that way. So then Carl says something to the camera like, that's fine. She can make me out to be the bad guy or the monster, but she's the one who's blind about all the things that have gone on in the last year. Um, And I think this is so interesting. Like we could totally come back to this and talk more about their entire relationship. I mean, over the last year, which was the year during their engagement, I can totally understand and say that I could see Lindsay pulling off almost like a Sheena type relationship, right? Where everything is sunshine and roses and everything is great all the time um, and just putting things aside. But 
you know, there are problems in their relationship. That's clear. They've been in therapy for a long time. So I don't see why Lindsay always has to act like things are fine and act like things are perfect and not always just try to deal with the real issues because it's looking like what Carl is saying is we need to communicate more. Then fast forward a little bit in the trailer and you see Carl telling Kyle that Lindsay will say, you keep fighting with me. And then we'll say, what are you on? What are you on? And there's a uh, scene where he yells at her, you accused me of doing drugs. Carl says something in the trailer about wanting to burn down the house. Lindsay says Carl's a fucking terrorist. And then there's a part of the trailer where I think it's Carl's stepdad um, is there with his mother, Sharon, saying, I have been a minister a long time and I've married a lot of people and I wouldn't marry you and Lindsay. And Carl's mother is just putting her head in her hands. And I actually didn't realize that Carl's mother was sort of on that side of him not marrying Lindsay. Obviously, we haven't seen his mother in quite some time or known her opinion. But that makes sense in terms of why we saw um, Carl's mother still go on the trip for the wedding and partying it up with Sheena and Kyle and everybody else was there because it wasn't that upsetting to her. So for months we've been speculating that Carl was evil and called the cameras back to capture the breakup. But this is something that Lindsay still believes to this day. This is what she said on the Vile Files. But Carl has told her he didn't do that. She also said that they had normal relationship fights over the summer, but nothing crazy, even though everyone on the show or the very few people who have come out and spoken about this have said, you'll see once the show plays out, you'll see what things happened over the summer. And Lindsay doesn't, on the Vile Files, believe that anything that strange happened over the summer, just normal relationship fights. But this reminded me so much of Shannon Bedore and John Jansen with, we have normal relationship problems. But like I said, Lindsay always has to pull off this certain perfect timeline and this perfect marriage, and it's with the perfect guy because we've been best friends for seven years. It all just seems so perfect, right? And she's always wanted to be a wife and a mom. It was just about finding the right guy. Like, you'll remember her with... Stephen was that his name and she's got her whole timeline planned out of when she wants to get married pregnant tiktok motherfucker i mean that's lindsay right so carl obviously seemed perfect but when lindsay fights she fights rough does anyone remember that fight they had last summer where she got drunk and she kept taunting him about talking to danielle and literally like picked a fight with him so hard that he just got out of bed, drove from the Hamptons in the middle of the night back to New York City. That's how Lindsay fights. So I was team Lindsay until I heard that she accused him of doing drugs, because not only is it dangerous to accuse a sober person of that, but it's gross to weaponize their addiction against them. It's like kind of like when a guy says, like, do you have your period when you're fighting with them? Like, it's disrespectful, too, to him as a person. If that's something that she never apologized for, I, I could kind of understand how they couldn't go on, especially if it ended up becoming like a recurring issue in their relationship over the past year. Um, a lot of people were speculating that either he slipped or Lindsay had started drinking more. But I think that Lindsay probably started drinking more and that probably did take a toll. But we also know that Carl wasn't planning on breaking up with Lindsay that day. So what was his plan? What did he want from her that day? And what could have gone different so that this didn't happen, right? I mean, that that is going to be the question. Um, I also feel like it's a bit strange that Lindsay felt blindsided if she hadn't talked to Carl in three days, which is what she had said on the Vile Files. She had said that, you know, they had gotten in this fight. But if you guys 
hadn't spoken in three days, but were living in the same house. Like she was really good at making things look picture perfect, even to herself. But I am impressed with her and proud of her for sticking to her guns and moving on um, because that's what she needed to do. If somebody told me they were calling off the wedding, I, I would probably end it as well. I don't see coming back from that. Um, Lindsay had said on the vile files that he started the conversation with, if you don't change, I'm calling off the wedding. And no one responds well to a threat like that, right? Um, the rest of the trailer, I feel like it was all Carl and Lindsay, but there was other stuff. So there was a new guy, I think, named West. Uh, we see Sierra kissing him. There's another guy named Jesse, and he's like hardcore hitting on Paige. And we see Kyle asking him if he wants to reconsider how hard he hit on her for the first couple weekends. And, um... Craig is in the background when that happens, so I'm, I'm curious to see if a fight breaks out. We see Sierra ask Amanda if she feels like she has an identity outside of Kyle because she doesn't think Amanda does. Amanda tells Kyle, like, you don't like it when I have a stance on things, and he says your stance is bullshit. Um, I was surprised by both of these things. I actually thought that Amanda does have an identity outside of Kyle. She always has, like, her core goal group, and she's always sort of with them. Um, and I thought that Kyle did respect Amanda's opinions and stance on things. So if this isn't true, then I would love to see a second coming of Amanda, right? Like, let's have her do her own merch. Let's have her do her own stuff. I mean, he did, she did quit her job as a graphic designer to be there for Kyle and Loverboy. So, you know, she is obviously not just connected to him by marriage, but also by work and everything else. But, you know, I want to see Amanda stand on her own if she doesn't feel that she is. We see Danielle saying that she's not holding on to last summer. And we know that Danielle and Lindsay are fine now. And actually, the breakup with Carl was probably really good for Danielle and Lindsay's relationship, quite frankly. Um, what else happens in this? We get a little bit of Craig and Paige, but it's just a quick sort of, you never compromise on things. But we know that the relationship is fine now. So I don't really think that that turns into anything. It's just sort of one of those things they do to make the trailer look good um i also think that kyle not respecting amanda if she which he sort of says like your stance is bullshit i felt like this is sort of a very katie and schwartz thing um and they really have been through so much together so they hope they really work through that but i am really excited for this season despite how we know it ends i really want to watch the progression over the summer almost like we did with scandal i want to see how we got here right we know the end i want to see how we got here so i'm really excited for february 22nd defeats proof timeline screenshot okay so now i want to get into the not skinny but not fat podcast with sam faher that aired on january 16th which was tuesday this is basically her first confirmation of her and Corey kiefer's breakup so as you'll recall they met on summer house last summer and he was on winter house this year and she made a cameo on winter house as well um there's a lot in this podcast about sam's background and i'm not really going to get into that part just sort of the Corey stuff because that's all we care about except for the fact that apparently sam was supposed to go on the bachelor for Clayton season and she was two days before um, her flight and production actually didn't think she would be a good fit for him or him for her so um, it was actually casting's idea I thought that was kind of interesting so she was saying that like Summer House she really enjoyed it she's still good friends with all of those girls and in terms of Corey she had instantaneous chemistry with him she was in love with him they worked long distance pretty well because they would come and go and it wasn't really an issue and she's done it before um, and in terms of like 
the interviewer, Amanda Hirsch, who's fucking amazing, by the way. I love the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. I uh, forgot to mention that. Uh, hosted by Amanda Hirsch. She sort of was asking a question to Sam about, like, but did you ever have the, like, what are we question? And her response was, like, I trusted he would match my energy, like, regarding their exclusivity. So I guess she felt a certain energy from him that made her feel safe, right? So she said that she was 100% in from the first time they slept together. And she just felt like their relationship or what it was was sort of an unspoken thing and she didn't really think about it too much um she was surprised that she didn't get the call for winter house to appear full-time she thinks they didn't want her because she was in a relationship with Corey, and the show is predominantly about single people and Corey was sort of invited to go last minute um she had an intuition that if they did bring her on it wasn't there for something good um she had talked with Corey in advance about how he would act there basically she had said like don't embarrass me don't hook up with people and he said that he wouldn't then she saw a dumois post about him and Malia having very flirty vibes and she hadn't been hearing from him a lot while she was there so when she agreed to come like he was very happy she was coming and she sort of wasn't alerted to anything nefarious that was going on um and she wasn't planning to come there and have any sort of serious conversation with him because she didn't think like too much was going on um and then so she gets there and basically 20 minutes into her getting there is when Corey is having that tackle fight with Malia and he said he has a hard time knowing when someone is flirting with him and when there is his friend this is like such a juvenile thing to say like we're in our 30s 20s whatever people like we're all adults at this age we are not play fighting anymore we're not five uh, he told her he wasn't interested in Malia and his perspective was that he didn't do anything wrong when Sam got there she didn't know Malia had been saying that she had wanted to hook up with him which was in one of the confessionals so it's to her like Malia's trying to make her look stupid and make her feel like oh you're ridiculous for thinking that anything would be going on when Malia had actually been saying she had wanted to hook up with him um she had felt that it was crushing when Malia said I wouldn't be in a situation for eight months it was partly another woman making her feel stupid but it was also just sort of feeling disrespected and lied to by everyone so basically for her she said that Winterhouse was basically just watching back lies because Malia straight up lied to her saying she never wanted to hook up with Corey and he didn't tell her anything or prepare her for what was to come like he didn't tell her that Jordan was knocking on his door at two in the morning he didn't tell her Malia said she wanted to fuck him so she watched the show and was like was was no one going to like tell me any of this so like she was really upset in that regard um she had been hoping that someone would have like either stood up for her but she knows that no one sort of owes her anything um he gave her a false impression of how serious they were and at the reunion he said they weren't official so he was going to push the boundary as far as he could while he's touching her knee and saying that so she's saying like to Amanda Hirsch like why would he say that sitting next to me touching my leg you know, and at that point, she had said, I love you to him, and he had not said it back, and that was a big problem for her. Um, she had also mentioned that confessionals are happening, like, up to six to eight months later, so he would actually be filming those confessionals in New York, and he would leave her apartment to go do the confessionals, then he would go in and say, no guy wants to be in a relationship, so I'm gonna push it as far as I can, but I don't want to lose her, so I gotta shit or get off the pot, and then go back to her bed so he would basically leave her bed say that shit about her and then come back to bed and that was really really upsetting to her and she said that at that point they were official and, and had met each other's families when she saw this her basic thing is that she didn't break up with him because she didn't love him she broke up with him because he doesn't love her and she realized that no one was taking care of her he didn't seem worried or concerned about what was going to air and she decided to end it before the reunion aired before christmas um she said she had wanted 
like so much for it to be good and she she wanted to be one of those people that's like oh he changed for me but she just realized she had to accept it for what it was and she realized that if she had done that they wouldn't have been together for as long as they were which she says is basically 1.5 years including the period of time they weren't official which she includes um she said she would do summer house and she was there first and those are her friends she's grieved the relationship already and said that he was sort of shocked with her breaking up with him um he ignored things like christmas valentine's day and she was even ignoring it and she wasn't even thinking of leaving but her last straw was when he left her on red for 48 hours so it was the longest they had gone without speaking and she had seen videos of him at a party taking selfies and videos and stuff so she texted him and was like we haven't talked in 48 hours and he was like hey baby what's up and she's like, you, you don't think it's weird that we haven't talked in two days? So she called him that night and said to him, you know, like, I, why haven't I spoken to you? It's very weird. And he felt like she was saying that to test him or to try and time him. And she should have just called him if she wanted to talk to him. And she felt like that was such a gaslighting thing to say. Um, he was under the impression it would be one of those conversations where they would just work through it. And she so badly didn't want to do this over the phone. But she said he was really mature about it. And he apologized. And he kept saying he wished things were different. And she said they're on good terms and have stayed in contact. She doesn't think she's in love with him right now. But she does love him. And she doesn't have a single regret. So... Ugh, I just feel so bad for this girl. The way this played out on TV was just so embarrassing for her. And I know this is going to sound like such a weird thing to say, but okay, so first of all, I haven't been in a relationship in forever. And the last time I was in a relationship, sorry, the last time I was in a relationship or the last time I even thought about it, there was no such word as situationship. It was called a fuck friend or friends with benefits. There were two movies about it and that was basically it. And I was totally involved in one of those for like two, two and a half years. And it was so stressful on my heart. And I really, really thought that he just had these walls up. And if he were ever to want a girlfriend, it would be me. And that just wasn't the case. And he was very clear with me about what it was, but it's just so hard not to get those feelings or to not think that, okay, maybe I'll be the one to change him, right? Especially for me in that situation, because I felt such a connection with him. I really felt like, you know, he was my person. And so to take the chance of leaving it on that very, very small chance that he would eventually feel the same way and we'd be in a relationship. I mean, that's what I decided to do and it did not end well. He basically got somebody else pregnant and it was really upsetting and stressful for me. And I know this is going to sound so weird to say, but like, I don't know, I grew up in a weird time where, or even now we place so much importance on beauty. But when I look at someone like Sam Faher, who was so incredibly gorgeous, model quality, um, smart, intelligent, has a business-savvy head on her shoulders, but also just so fucking gorgeous, could be a model, how could anyone not want to be in a relationship with someone like that? And so, like, I honestly, back in my day, like, I thought it was me. I thought it was me because I was ugly, right? Like, no one's going to want to be in a relationship with someone that's, like, mediocre like me. But the fact that it happens to like, women like Sam Fair, who is so amazing on so many levels. I mean, I guess it makes me feel a little bit better, but it's also just so fucked up, right? Because, you know, honestly, it'll be fine. Corey's a piece of shit and she'll end up finding somebody amazing down the road, I have no doubt, but it really, really fucks with a girl's self-confidence when a man doesn't feel like he wants or she, or when a man acts like you are not good enough to be with him or makes you feel that way, right? And I'm sure Sam on some level felt that. And uh, I'm also sure it must have just been so embarrassing for the way it played out on TV. Even that conversation that they ended up having where he, she asked if he was going to be her boyfriend and his response was just so cringy, like, oh, oh yeah, if that's what you want. I mean, there was no element of it as us as viewers. 
that gave us any impression he actually wanted to be in a relationship and he should have made that clear to her a really long time ago he wasted a lot of her time so that's it on the not skinny not fat podcast and we've had a lot of summer house content today but it's been some good content defeats proof timeline screenshot okay let's get into episode two of rachel goes rogue I, this bitch, like, she has the nerve to not release the episode on time, so she's supposed to release them on Mondays, because last time it was on a Monday, and this time, nothing on Monday, so I thought, okay, I'm not gonna have anything to cover, and then Tuesday night, literally, like, halfway through the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City reunion part two, she drops this 35-minute episode, and I wanted to be the first to hear it and get information out there from the podcast online, so I dropped what I was doing, and I listened to it, and I was the first to get information out there online and I still barely got any likes um but that is neither here nor there okay guys I am like flip-flopping hard on this episode like last time I was telling you guys you know I saw I've seen a lot of growth and a lot of change in her and here it's just like blame city I I can't believe this so we'll go through the recap and I'll I'll give my points or my thoughts as I go. Um, Basically, she says that she thinks that Tom doesn't want to lose the house and is being stubborn by not letting Ariana buy him out. Um, She also thinks that's why he didn't break up with her sooner, because he wanted the house. Um, They had worked hard together to invest in this big house, and it was like a comfort thing for both of them. So she believes that Tom is having a hard time letting that go, that it's a power play on his part. Um... And she also said she doesn't care if he dates again. She (laughs) made a really good point, which I want to know more about, was that he didn't wait to date when she went into therapy. Um, He was out there with different girls each week, which we saw online all the time. And she was finding out about it while she was in there and she was asking him about it. Um, She doesn't go into more detail about that, but I would like to know what he said about those dates with other girls. Um, She had said that for herself, she personally needed time um, before she started dating again. When she saw people or when she sees people dating so quickly after a breakup, a red flag goes off in her head. So it was ironic when she saw in the VPR trailer that James was giving Sandoval advice when he's saying he still has a lot of growing up to do because James, of all people, is like an immature person to her. Um, She thinks that the Toms will never break up, that they have the most codependent relationship ever, which is true. Um, She said that Schwartz was being influenced by other people who were telling him, like, Sandoval isn't good for you, so that's part of his storyline for next season. So part of this episode was her going through the VPR trailer and seeing it for the first time. Um, She said that Sandoval would tell her to send letters from her mental health facility to Schwartz so that no one would know, but then Schwartz had asked him to stop doing this because... was sort of in that period of time where Schwartz was dumping him as a friend so he was like send them to the house but then Rachel was like isn't that weird to send it to the house Ariana's there and he's like no don't worry about it at all my assistant would get it so a few days later she sent a postcard we've all seen this postcard right it said Arizona on it and it had lightning bolts on it and she got a stamp from a bookstore and she thought it was cute and she decided to make the bad decision to send it to the house um Tom entrusted her that the assistant would get it and then as we all saw Ariana went to watch what happens live saying that they were still sending each other letters and that she found the letter so so she didn't think that Tom gave a fuck and that he actually wanted her to see it which is so fucked up like after everything Tom has done to her he really wants to torture her more by making her like see open mail 
from Raquel. Like, it's it's just so gross. Anyways, I hate him. Okay, so then the producer asks, when did Schwartz find out, right? The winning fucking question. Let's get the answer. And Rachel says, Schwartz knew since the very beginning. This game that he was playing, like, oh, I didn't mark it on my calendar, and he told me at the beginning, but then not at the end. No. After they hooked up the first time, Sandoval called her the next morning, and he was at Schwartz's apartment. So when he had called, Schwartz had already known before he and her had even had a conversation about it and made a game plan. Um, she also had filming that night with Ariana, and he told her to go on like everything is normal. And so she said, so we're not telling Ariana? And he said no. Bitch, are you seriously asking this question? Of course, he's saying don't tell Ariana. So that night, Ariana and her share an Uber to the scene that they're going to, like some girls' night, something related to the show. And on the way, Ariana says something like, oh, I hate going to this place. Something bad always happens there. Like someone will say, I slept with your boyfriend. And she sort of cringed at that and kind of freaked out. Um, she said she drank a lot that night. And then Tom sent a bottle of champagne to their table to the restaurant. So she felt like that was his twisted way of celebrating what happened and telling her it would be okay. But it's also, of course, making Ariana think that it's a gesture towards her and that he's like this amazing boyfriend. Um, the producer says, so we know you hooked up with Tom in Mexico, but you also kissed Schwartz. So did you do that to try to deflect away from Sandoval or did you really like Schwartz? And she said when she made the first move on Schwartz, it was part of their inside joke that fans were convinced that they had kissed at Coachella when she had said that that like, oh, want to make out and he had turned it down. She said she thought it could be a fun storyline for season 10. So she made that move. He turned it down. And then Katie told her it would make her uncomfortable and I couldn't pursue a friendship with you. So she closed the door and then the producers were like, whoa, 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 we're making a reality TV show here. So she's basically putting all the blame on producers saying that she needs to, well, two things. She's saying producers made me, made me kiss someone, which is so, that's like sexual harassment. Like producers would not force you to kiss someone. And the second thing that she's saying is that this could be a fun storyline. You'll see this thread as we continue to go through this, this concept of her having a good storyline for season 10 and that being super super important to her so she said that um Schwartz knew at the wedding that she and Tom had hooked up and Schwartz had gotten some pressure from somewhere to make out with her because all of a sudden she saw a table that was specifically set up for them and it had camera lights and she was instructed to go over there for, for a scene with Schwartz. So it was produced and set up. She thinks that he got the okay from Sandoval to kiss her because she doesn't think that what he would have gone ahead without that. And then both of them went in for the kiss, both knowing that she had a thing for Sandoval and in the moment... It felt so produced. So then, as we all saw, the whole group was like watching and clapping and cheering. So she suggested that they go somewhere more private. Um, he was talking to her about how Katie was putting limits on him of who he couldn't couldn't date. And she said, oh, I kind of want to make out with you again. She felt like this is what producers wanted. But you said it. <laughs> like producer, You're not even giving an inclination here that producers have asked you to do that. You said, let's go somewhere more private. And then you said, do you want to make out again? Like, this doesn't make sense to me. Unless she's saying, like she says here, this is what she thinks producers wanted. So everything that she did last summer, or God knows how long, she did because she thought that's what someone else wanted her to do. So 
she makes that move and then she says that Sandoval was sort of near them in the background and handed them a couple of beers so he was totally in on it and okay with it because after that scene they went to party at this club on the premises um and then one of the producers said to her oh how about a birthday trip for you we could go glamping so she felt like this was a reward for her um she says it it wasn't initially a cover-up but it turned into that when they kept the secret and were still playing into this flirty thing that she and schwartz had um the producers were like if you were in love with sandoval why would you want to kiss his best friend another great question rachel said she wasn't interested in schwartz like that at all and they were friends so it didn't feel like she was betraying anybody by kissing him it just felt like she was playing into her part or role on the show this is a reality show. I am so confused by this. Like, yes, there is always some element of self-producing, but this is like another level. She's creating not just a storyline, but an identity for herself for the show that isn't true. That is not what reality TV is. And I know we all know it's fake to some degree, but for the most part, it is real, especially on Vanderpump Rules. I mean, even Jack said something about he saw her at points like rehearsing lines. Like no one is writing down lines for this show except for you. I am so annoyed right now. Okay. So then, so she's saying Sandoval encouraged basically interactions between Rachel and Schwartz um, and Schwartz's apartment became a safe place for them to meet up. Uh, She felt like Sandoval put him in a bad position and he felt like he didn't have a say. She knows that Schwartz tried to tell him to come clean to Ariana and to set boundaries, but it didn't work. Um, Sandoval was not happy with Schwartz with what he said on the reunion about when he found out about the affair in August. And that was part of why he was upset during the reunion and wanted to talk to Rachel alone because he was upset about Schwartz and wanted to talk to her about that. Um, But the producer says, can you explain how fans influence storylines? And she said, a lot of cast members will self-produce and think about what storylines they want to be involved in. Not true. That's me. Um, And then she said the whole Peter date came about because fans thought Peter had bought her flowers. It was like some Instagram thing and fans thought they would be cute together. And then Peter had asked her out. She thought it could be fun, not serious. They went on a date, went for drinks. She ended up crying, as she had mentioned um, previously. He was really supportive, but that was sort of it. Then she didn't have her Miss California storyline that she thought she would have, and producers said they wanted her to go on a date with Peter. So again, she's saying, I didn't have the Miss California storyline I thought I'd have. What does that mean? Because even if you had won, it wouldn't have been during the time of filming. It was prior to filming. It was in like May 2022. And what would you have done with that? What would have gone on there? Again, your storyline is you. It's about you and your life, not what you wouldn't do if it wasn't your life, which is go out with Peter. So she's basically, again, blaming it on producers, saying that they forced you to go out with Peter. Um, They said you went out with him off camera, so you were were setting you up for a date with Peter. It's like the same thing. Um, She said she didn't want to, but she also felt like she didn't have a storyline, again, for this season. And if you're single, you're supposed to date. That's your storyline. So when she got there, she told producers that she would end it with him on the date, and they said, no, no, you have to wait at least a week. Um, She demanded that the date at least be during the day, and on the date, she cried to him once more. she said that she was taking direction from production and she didn't see like anything with him at all. The producer was like, um, does Peter know that this is a storyline and does he take that personally? And Rachel said, that's a good question. He's been a character that hasn't been in the main storyline. He still gets an episodic rate, which is high because he's been on the show for a long time. But she says she wouldn't be surprised if, as an opportunity to have a storyline and to stay within the show, he asked her out. She didn't know if he genuinely had feelings for her. Um, and that 
even if he did, it would be crossing a line for there to be anything between a manager and a server. Okay, so if anyone knows Peter, um, and I, I don't personally, obviously, but if you've listened to him on any podcast or know anything about Peter, and she should, having known him for five years now, he has zero interest in the show. He does not watch the show. He does not care about the show. He is genuinely the manager at Sir, and he has many, many other um, passions and projects that he's working on. He 100% would not have asked her out, um, as a storyline for the show. It's wild the way she's communicating this as if no one on the show is a real person and everyone is an actor that is playing a role. Even now that she's saying this, as if none of these people were real people to her, they were all actors and not real friends. It's, it's just so wild to me. Um, then in terms of that starter pony comment that she had made about him, she does think he was offended by it and she wants to take this opportunity, the podcast, for her to apologize, which is very nice of her. Um, she said it's a weird reality because you don't know if someone's interested in you for a storyline or for real. Um, she does not think they would forgive her if she had come back because we have heard that a few times. Lala, Katie, a few different people saying, you know, just come back and you should have just come back. But she, she thinks it would have been awful for her. Um, she thinks that they only said she should have come back because it took away from opportunities for scenes about like Scandal. Again, wow, you're just giving yourself so much credit that this show, that you carried this show on your back because you really didn't. I am just flabbergasted by this episode, how she takes zero responsibility of being a 29-year-old adult. Um, if producers are asking you to do something or doing or telling you to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, you as an adult with your own volition and authority and, you know, mind can say no. And if you don't say no, that is on you. And to go into a reality show that, and, and I can say this not for all reality shows, but I'll say this for Vanderpump Rules. Yes, there are certain produced scenes and produced setup things, but for the most part, these are real friendships, real fights, and a real show. And there was a point during Scandal where even Sheena and Ariana had mentioned that Rachel had brought up kissing Tom would be, or kissing Schwartz would be a good idea for a storyline, and they sort of looked at each other, because they don't think about things in that way. Rachel was thinking about things in that way, and I think that's why she got into the situation that she got herself into, because she wasn't thinking about the show as real life, or her own life as real life, or Ariana's real life as real life, or as Sandoval's life as real life, or as Sheena's life as real life, it was all a make-believe dream in a game on a show in her mind. It's, it's wild to me that she still has those beliefs. So anyways, that is episode two of Rachel Goes Rogue. Defeats! Proof! Okay, let's get into the Real Housewives of Potomac, and this is the section I will say there is a trigger warning. So um, there will be discussion here of sexual assault. If that is triggering for you, please skip this section and refer to the show description for timestamps. Okay, so we had a new episode of the Real Housewives of Potomac. The majority of the episode, nothing happened as per usual this season, but the last five minutes were very, very emotional, upsetting, impactful, and quite Quite honestly, I had to take several days after watching the episode to film, uh, sorry, to record this segment of the podcast because I cried so hard and I found it so upsetting. Um, 
but we will get there. Um, so basically it starts with Karen talking about her work with PAVE, which is an organization that works to um, prevent silence against violence. And she asked the ladies to come to a luncheon there. Um, and we get to that a bit later. So first we have Mia and G going to the Culinary Arts Center to do like a cooking class with Robin and Juan, which was really cute. Um, Juan gets a call about a job when he's there and Robin is sort of explaining to the camera like, you know, he's working on it. He's going to find a job. Everything's going to be okay. Um, so they're both like making their pasta at certain sort of creamy, scanty pasta, something like that. And <laughs> Mia has like the balls to call one out on his story about like these women in Canada on the credit card. So she's like, so did you really have to put your credit card in? Couldn't you have done that over the phone? And he's like, I paid for the room and she got me. She went to the casino. Someone had stolen her purse and she didn't have a wallet and she couldn't get her money sent from Canada. So I put my card down. And Mia's like, yeah, but so she didn't have a purse or a wallet and you couldn't have done that over the phone? Like, you had to go to the hotel? And he goes, yeah, I went to the hotel. And Mia sort of makes this face like, ee, cringe. And he's like, well, next time. And she's like, well, like, there's no next time. It was just so funny that she had the audacity to call out somebody's husband. I just thought that was really funny and good for her because Robin's not doing it. Um, Mia tells G that she told Robin the story of what happened with their attorney. So as you know, their attorney or business manager or someone that was working for them had stolen money for them from them. And I guess during the process of trying to prosecute that, and he was also um, accused of doing this with many, many other people. It wasn't just them. But in the process, um, he ended up ending his life and for Mia she sort of thinks about the child and the wife that he left behind and she's having such a hard time grappling with that while G feels the opposite he feels there's justice owed to them and so it's really interesting because there's a real dichotomy here in terms of their morals and values and there's so many differences that you can have with a partner but when it comes to morals and values i mean maybe i can't speak for everyone um but for me personally that's sort of like number one i mean even just think about COVID times and how people had different perspectives on it and it ended up ruining marriages and relationships right because you have to have the same morals and values as someone and you can really tell that mia is going through it here in terms of her relationship with g and and we know that they didn't end up working out and that they ended up filing for divorce, but to no longer be aligned morally and, and to have different morals and values of, as your partner, that's, that's just really difficult. Um, I don't really care for Mia or care about Mia, but we are getting a lot of depth from her this season. So if anyone is interested in her, I mean, I would say this is definitely the season to keep an eye on Mia. Um, she also talks something about like how she feels the suicide could have been something that could have been prevented, maybe on their end. It's causing a lot of tension for them, but she says they'll figure it out, which we know they didn't. Then there's this really interesting scene with Wendy talking to her mom. So this scene is supposed to be about the NECA situation and Wendy confronting her mom in front of the camera about whether or not she called NECA or called Lebe or the shrine thing and all of that. So Wendy says to her mom, um, she's explaining the NECA situation and they both sort of laugh because they're acting like, who? Who is this person? What are you talking about? They acted like the whole thing was a, a completely obscene. And then the mom says, oh yeah, so I, Ivy and Leba had a falling out. Sorry, Ivy is Wendy's sister and Lebe is NECA's cousin-in-law. So the mom says, yeah, they had a falling out. 
And the mom says, I called Levy to make sure that she knows it's hard to find good friends and easy to make an enemy. Is that not a threat? <laughs> I mean, okay, forget the whole shrine thing and, and all of that, but it does sound like um, Wendy's mom made a threat to, to Levy. Because of a falling out, it really seems ridiculous. Um, but the mom is like, but I don't know this NECA person. And Wendy's like, and did you say something about a shrine during the call? And, and they were all acting like this is silly. And the mom is like, oh, I feel sorry for this. Who is this? This NECA person? I mean, this entire scene is obviously produced. Um, I'm sure she's spoken to her mom about this before. But this is supposed to be Wendy's scene to sort of clear herself and her mother out of this mess. And this wasn't it. This, this wasn't it. Um, Giselle then takes Grace to a self-defense class because she's going away to school soon. And I think that's a really great idea. She decides to call Jason while she's there. I don't know why. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know how long we're going to see Jason in our lives. She was on um, Watch What Happens Live the other night and she said that they've been going on for over a year so good for them um then we see candace in the car talking to her mom um she says she's going to meet up with neca and then when she meets up with neca you know she's saying she hasn't really recovered from austin and neca's saying like you know it's hard to see you and robin not connecting and neca said it was never her intention to have like that strong of a like conversation with wendy especially in a public setting and candace is like well you did call her a bitch and neca's like yeah but that's before she called me like a crack whore or something and Candace is like, I feel like we can move forward independent of Wendy, but I feel like there needs to be a resolution. And Nick is like, I don't see one. So she says, like, I want to cultivate a relationship with Candace, but she also understands that that's difficult. Now, Candace is also in a difficult situation because she has barely any friends to rub together herself. So I guess she's kind of being this way because she's worried that she's going to lose the one friend, Wendy, that she does seem to have. Um so then there is the vent for Pave. Um, and right before that, Mia is getting ready and G is sort of sitting on watching her get ready. And she says that she's going to Karen's event called Pave, which is supports victims of rape. And she tells the camera that she has unresolved trauma that no one knows the story about. And she's not prepared to be vocal about this right now. Um, Karen, we see her at the event saying a prayer that everybody behaves. All the ladies show up with donations, which is lovely. And Karen says she's glad that everyone put aside their issues for this beautiful event, which I also agree with. And I feel like that's what we got in the last two episodes, this one and the one previous. Last time it was for Karen's birthday and this time for the PAVE event. We can forget for a moment for this episode, for last episode, that this group of women are not friends. And it was beautiful to watch them come together for this this common purpose. So Karen gives a little speech and she says that she was sworn in as ambassador to PAVE six years ago, shattering violence against sexual assault. Um, she said it's really important for her to have a legacy of empowerment. And then she has a survivor named Ella sing a song which helped her get through her experience. And while she's singing, we have some confessionals on the camera and Robin says that she had an experience when she was a teenager where she was unable to give consent. I'm sorry, you guys, I'm gonna get emotional. Um, Candace also spoke to the camera and said she didn't believe what had happened to her was what it was until years later. Ashley says to the camera that this event is triggering for her because of what happened to her at the hands of a family member when she was young. And Mia actually gets up and leaves during the event. And Ashley follows her to the bathroom and, and hugs her and gives her one of those knowing glances. And, and Ashley says, I didn't know that this was something that happened to you, which I was actually kind of shocked by. I mean, it seems obvious to me why Mia got up. And if it were me, I probably would have just 
hugged her or just given her a knowing glance, I didn't know I would have actually said, I didn't know that that was something that happened to you, which sort of prompted her to talk about it. But it was so interesting that Mia, I mean, everybody's coping mechanisms are different. And, you know, Mia said her coping mechanism is that which she's uncomfortable, she she leaves. But in this case, you know, she actually didn't want to come. But it was so interesting because she said it's her sort of defense to leave. But then in this situation, she is spilling everything to Ashley. Everything is just coming out of her like lava. Like it's almost like she's never talked about it before. You could just see how emotional she is. And she tells Ashley that, again, about her coping mechanism being to be able to leave or wanting to leave. And she blames herself for the day an incident of obviously sexual assault happened to her. Why didn't she leave? Why didn't she get out? And then she references her friend Jacqueline, who we saw last season and who she's had like a falling out with. And she's, and she brings it up right there. And she, she has enough wherewithal and enough, you know, intuition to understand that she resents Jacqueline because Wherever this had happened, she was there with Jacqueline and then Jacqueline left her there. She had trusted uh, Mia with Jacqueline's boyfriend. And the next day when she came back, she was like, Mia, what happened to you? And, you know, she says, over the years, I've wanted to forgive her. But and I know I've always been meaner to her because of it. I completely understand that. Obviously, you know, Jacqueline wasn't involved in the actual incident, but she has this sort of built up resentment to the person that makes her feel like if this hadn't have happened, then this wouldn't have happened, right? And guys, the reason I'm so emotional, I mean, I have to, I have to tell you, I have to sort of explain where this comes from for me. I mean, I have never, I'll just say I've never been in a situation where I have been sexually assaulted. However, I don't know, growing up, it wasn't something I understood really well. When I'd hear about it, I mean, maybe it was the culture I grew up in or people I was around, but the idea of that kind of thing being not true was always what was most prevalent in my mind. And then I started doing work where I had to speak with victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse, depends on whatever term you use. And it changed me, guys. It hardened me. It became me. It became a different person. I became a different person. I became a feminist, which I used to always think was like a bad connotation or a bad word. I swear, I used to be like a guy. I used to be like an idiot. I really don't know why. But after having had so many conversations with women and men who have been victims, it is so horrible for these people. And I want to explain the gravity. I mean, something can happen to you as a child and this memory could come back and affect you when you're 40 years old or a situation that happens tens of years later and it can impact you to your core. It can, it, it can influence your jobs, your relationships, your family, everything about you. It changes a person and some people just never change back. I have seen some people destroyed over the sexual assault and violence that they endured. I am so impressed by the people that recover and come through it. And every victim is a survivor. But guys, this is so prevalent. This is such a problem. This is, it's changed me. I, I am such a harder person now. I, you know, all I think about is victims and, and trying to help them. It's something I really wanted to. I mean, honestly, even in my building, there was someone who had reached out to our building Facebook group where people just write about 
wanting to sell certain things in the building. Someone had reached out saying that one of the, the front desk staff had made her feel uncomfortable um, and she didn't want to get him in trouble and she didn't know what to do, but he kept like trying to touch her inappropriately. And I found her and I reached out to her and I really tried to help her in the situation because, guys, the reason people don't talk about this is because people don't feel like they, they'll be believed. They feel like nothing will come of it. They feel embarrassed. They feel like it's their fault. They feel like, why didn't I stop this? Why didn't this happen? I mean, you you just won't believe it. It's the same thing every time. Every woman, every woman doesn't stop it or man. And every person says, why didn't I, right? It's that flight, fight or flight thing. And everybody freezes. It's completely insane. And it's, it's just so prevalent. It happens to so many people. And so just be, be compassionate. I, I don't know what else to say. You know, I mean, this episode was mostly about, awareness. And so I'll leave it at that, right? I mean, be aware, be aware that this is happening to people around you, to your friends, to your family, and be compassionate, be a listener, and be a believer. You know, it was just, it was just a really upsetting episode. Um, I But I have also included a link to PAVE in the show description in case you want some more information there. And that is it for The Real Housewives of Potomac. Defeats, proof, timeline, screenshots, Okay, let's get into the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, this was a pretty light episode, not much happened, which I guess is pretty good considering the heaviness of last week's episode, which I didn't cover and which would require another trigger warning. So um, I'm glad there was some lightness here. Um, we have Kyle going to Sutton's house and Sutton talks about how she talks to her plants and it's good for them. And that is very Sutton because she's super kooky. Um, Kyle says it makes sense about Sutton not eating a lot because there was nothing in her fridge. And then Sutton says to the camera, well, if she knew that Kyle was coming, she would have stocked her fridge to prove she eats a lot. I actually can't believe Kyle is keeping up with this narrative about Sutton. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying anything about it. It's just like so declasse to be discussing like somebody's eating habits. And I know she's just sort of in this transitional phase in her life where she's just very angry with the people around her. And she's sort of just trying to find herself. But it's it's not a good look. Um... So then Kyle is talking to Sutton about how Mo wasn't at the Celebration of Life event because he was working. And Sutton says to the camera, like, unless you're dead in a ditch, you should show up for your wife. And I agree. But I feel like Kyle didn't really care that he wasn't there. I feel like that was sort of the point of it. You know, like, she had her closest friends there. She had Teddy there. She had Morgan there, right? I mean... It was a di it's a different time in her life where he's not the number one person. Um, so Mo will be at the Homeless Not Toothless event, which is what Kyle is explaining to Sutton. Um, Sutton is talking to Garcelle, who says that, you know, Anne-Marie was coming for her about the esophagus at the NAMI event. Or sorry, this is what Sutton is explaining that Garcelle explained to her at the event. Kyle says that Sutton throws a fit over silly things, so maybe Sutton has met her match with Anne-Marie. I don't think so. Like, I don't want to get too much into this Anne-Marie thing because it's so annoying and I don't want to get into the whole esophagus gate and, and all of this and I'll only have to deal with it as briefly as I have to in terms of just plot. But Kyle, Kyle knows Anne-Marie is being ridiculous about 
even disgusting Sutton's esophagus at all. I can't even deal with this. So then there's a conversation about the ladies going to Barcelona, which I guess will be their cast trip. Um, Sutton tells Kyle that she doesn't want to invite Anne-Marie, but Kyle's like, you already did. Um, and Sutton says that Anne-Marie owes her an apology. Um, Crystal then FaceTimes Garcelle, and she's saying Anne-Marie was implying that Sutton had an eating disorder at the, at the NAMI event. And Crystal sort of saying to Garcelle, like, what's your purpose? Like, why do you keep bringing this up in terms of Anne-Marie? And Garcelle is sort of like, yeah, like, leave her in her esophagus alone. And I just continue to hate saying that word. Um, Crystal said that when she met Anne-Marie months earlier, she had said that she was a doctor when she is actually a nurse anesthetist. So she's also saying, like, she's kind of a liar. And she's saying, like, her intensity of wanting to out Sutton for this esophagus thing is weird, which is very true. Um, then we have PK and Dorit going to the Beverly Hilton to set up for the Homeless Not Toothless Gala. Homeless Not Toothless? Yes, that's right. I love the name of this. I think it's so hilarious. Um, Dorit asks... Uh, the staff about security and PK said that she needs to, you know, rely on the people around her and not to overthink it too much. And she says that she really thinks the therapy is working because he basically she needs from him like to comfort her more. And so she said he's being more present and he's listening more. And I think that's really cool. Um, she mentions that Paula Abdul and William H. Macy will be there at the event, which we see later on, which is pretty cool. Um, she said that while PK being there doesn't solve all of their problems, it's a start and it makes her hopeful. And I think that's great. I, I do sort of have hope for their relationship. Like, I don't really care about them in particular, but I do really think that they'll make it despite their issues. Um, then we have Crystal meeting her brother for food. He said that um, when he was in China, he saw his ex and it was sort of surreal um she felt like like his ex said that she felt like she was never actually accepted by crystal and her mom and jeff said that his girlfriends have always said that crystal's intimidating um jeff explains to her like we're best friends but it's like problematic for you and mom when a woman comes into my life um crystal says that she and jeff were always very close and she was worried when she met rob but the relationship never changed so basically he said his plan is he's going to live in Asia for half the year. Um, he said it's basically him taking control of his life. And Crystal says, you know, to the camera that she needs to accept him and what he wants or she's going to lose him. I 0% understand this storyline. Who cares about Crystal's brother and his fiance who we don't even get to see on camera? So it's kind of annoying that this is what we get from Crystal, especially when I'm very interested in her eating disorder and her navigating through that process. I would like to hear more about that. I really was influenced by Jackie Goldschneider's story on New Jersey. So, you know, that to me seems like more than than this. Um, then we have Kyle and Mo going together in a car to the Homeless Not Toothless Gala. Um, Kyle says that if Mo had to come to the event, um, sorry, the, the Celebration of Life event, it would have meant something to her. And so they're sort of having this conversation. He's like, oh, none of the guys went right. And she's like, no. Um, and then she tells him, oh, by the way, I'm going to Spain. And she says to the camera, like, it's it's funny. It's like sort of a taste of his own medicine um, because she barely ever gets a heads up when he travels. And you can really see this look of confusion on his face. Like, and I've been seeing it basically in every episode this season. You can really see him navigating his feelings of their separation and of their divide as these episodes progress. I feel like the looks on his face are very real and his emotions are very real. But it's interesting that she says it that way, like giving him a taste of his own medicine. You can tell that she really just has this resentment towards him. And 
I really feel like at this point they are not getting back together. She just resents him so much and she's just so ready to move on. It's really sad. Um, her spite is just so telling. Um, Erica gets hit on at the event by a dentist, so that was cute. Um, Mo tells Kyle that she looks great and opens the door for her, and so he's still, like, trying, but, I mean, I feel like we're so many months in the future now, and we know that this is just not happening. Um, so Anne-Marie brings her husband Marcellus to the event, and Sutton tells Anne-Marie, you picked the wrong person, and shut her down when Anne-Marie tried to explain. Anne, or sorry, uh, Sutton just wanted to get this whole esophagus thing over with. Um, Anne-Marie accuses Sutton of lying by saying that she's not yelling when she felt that she was yelling, and she said that her first lie was about the esophagus. Sutton says that she has a doctor, so she knows what she had, and she knows what she's doing. And Crystal said, okay, but like Anne-Marie, you said that Sutton lied about the gabapentin. And Anne-Marie basically wouldn't admit it and accused Crystal of saying that she might have an eating disorder. Um, and Sutton also brings up how this was inappropriate to even talk about this at that type of event, which was the Celebration of Life event. Crystal also brings up like that the whole this whole esophagus thing is annoying this whole concept is annoying and then she calls Anne Marie a bitch and it's funny because we haven't really heard much from Crystal this season and then she's like you're such a bitch so it was pretty funny um Anne Marie said that she thinks Crystal resents her because she's in the medical profession and she didn't get to go to medical school which is ridiculous um <laughs> I can't Anne Marie ends up apologizing which is sort of a non-apology um and then most ends up sitting next to Sutton and says oh I hear you have an esophagus problem and Sutton you know she's just so over Mo she sort of questions to the camera like how could he come to this event this homeless not toothless thing but not the celebration of life event um the gala is like a nice event everybody gets up and dances it's cute and it's a nice light moment after such a heavy episode last week um, then the ladies all sit down together and they decide that they're going to bring positive energy to Spain. Kyle feels the sense of responsibility of being a peacemaker because she brought Anne-Marie into the group. Um, Anne-Marie tells Kyle that Crystal owes her an apology for mocking her profession. And Anne-Marie agrees when she talks to Kyle that she needs to talk to Sutton to move forward because basically we're about to have a cast trip here and this is way too divided. She is really digging herself a hole. She's obviously not back next season. There's nothing going for her. If the only thing she has going for her is her medical knowledge, which is false, and I'm not going to get into that. You guys can research this esophagus thing on your own, which is a real thing. But if this is all you have going for you as a housewife, you're just not going very far. But in terms of moving forward for the trip, yeah, she has to apologize. Um, so she calls Sutton and she says, I apologize for my part in everything that happened. And Sutton says to the camera, like, your part that's like the only part then she's like i'm sorry i upset you for talking about your esophagus behind your back Sutton agrees to move forward and then we have like a 24 hours later they're in spain and then there's this, this sort of fight where Anne marie is saying that crystal said that um that these women are not intelligent and they're shallow and then she's questioned about it and then it says to be continued which is funny because every week is to be continued so that's all we have on real housewives of beverly hills so yeah i felt like it was just sort of a filler episode after such a heavy episode last week so that's it on the real housewives of beverly hills defeats proof timeline screenshot okay let's get into the news of the week so last week we had Southern Charm, the first part of the reunion, and in the reunion, as retaliation, Taylor brought up the fact that Olivia slept with Thomas Ravenel and said that that was a betrayal to Catherine. So 
on the episode, Olivia was very upset. She said that she wanted to take that to the grave and she didn't tell a single soul. And if you watch the uncut Peacock version, you'll hear Olivia actually call Taylor a cunt right at the end. Um, so Catherine, this is obviously Catherine Dennis, who was previously in a relationship with Thomas Ravenel and has two children with him. She came out and said in the press that the following, we all make mistakes and sometimes the same ones. We didn't know each other back then, so this isn't even a thing. And Taylor acting like she cares about me to hurt Olivia, who actually does, is gross. I agree. I also think this is gross that Taylor tried to break bring this up to embarrass Olivia, especially knowing the fact, and she would know the fact, that Olivia wouldn't have even known Catherine then. So it was a moot point, and it just made her look like even more of a jerk this season than she already has. Um, Thomas also came out in the media and said that Olivia used him. Specifically, he said, I was in Atlanta the weekend of January 14th, 2017 for my nephew's wedding. Olivia was living in Atlanta at the time, pursuing her acting career. She was 24 years old, not 20 like she claimed on the reunion. I will say she conducted herself as a classy lady that night. I would have never acknowledged having sex with her until they brought me up at the reunion. She used me. Olivia was in Atlanta pursuing her acting career and she wanted to get on that show, Southern charm and that's why she befriended me when i hooked up with olivia in 2017 catherine and i were long done for years and i had full custody of my kids after a court battle i just think this whole thing is gross i feel bad for olivia i would never even look at someone like thomas as a sex figure and um our sex symbol and i actually can't even believe he was ever even allowed on tv because if you recall how he originally even entered this show i think he was like a disgraced congressman who had been arrested for like drug possession so normally someone like that wouldn't be allowed on reality tv now but um there's thomas trying to get his 15 minutes and we don't need any more Thomas or anyone else named Tom. God. But speaking of which, uh, Vanderpump rules. We've got Lisa Vanderpump and Ken Todd are actually being sued by Tom Tom bartenders for wrongful termination. Vanderpump and Todd allegedly fired bartenders for the restaurant in retaliation for complaining about the working conditions, according to documents obtained by Us Weekly. In the lawsuit, which was filed on Thursday, January 11th, a former employee claimed Vanderpump and Todd blacklisted him by defaming him to future employers. According to the unnamed individual, Vanderpump and Todd published false statements and comments to numerous third parties regarding his profession, reputation, and career. The bartender claimed the rumors and false statements were made with actual malice, which affected his career. The paperwork also alleged that Tom Tom had unsafe working conditions, including sewage and backup in the employee break room. During this period, the former bartenders experienced rampant violations of California labor laws, harassment, and unsafe working conditions. Um, Tom Sandoval and Tom Schwartz, who are co-owners of the establishment, were not named in the, not named in the lawsuit. So. Up and Adam, which is another podcast run by Adam Newell and his husband, Jason, they actually both used to work for Lisa and Ken, and they their opinion was that this is just some disgruntled workers and that, um, you know, Lisa and Ken are not the type of people to walk around the streets trying to prevent other people from getting work. I don't really know, but I guess we'll see what comes from this. I'd like to hear more about these unsafe working conditions, because obviously everybody deserves the right to work in a safe environment. Um, some updates from Real Housewife of Atlanta, which we haven't heard about in a while, and the reason for that is because we don't really seem to know what the future holds for the Real Housewives of Atlanta. So Candy Burress came out recently and said that Bravo hasn't asked any of the ladies back. Specifically, she said, they still haven't told everybody who they're bringing back. Yeah, they're over here, they're being real, uh, they're tripping. They've got lives around here, we gotta make plans for other things. 
Um, Candy also said in another interview that they're still waiting on the new cast. So I don't know if that means an overhaul entirely or a few new cast members, but um, I don't even know when filming is supposed to start, but I would assume it would be soon. And I can also understand why the women are stressed about it. Um, Peter Thomas, who you may recall as Cynthia Bailey's ex-husband from The Real Housewives of Atlanta, was arrested for a DUI last Tuesday. Police booked Thomas on Tuesday at 2 p.m. in Cobb County, Georgia. He posed for a mugshot and was released the same day on a nearly $3,000 bail. He was also cited for driving without a license, not having proof of insurance, failure to maintain a lane, expired no tag, and a violation of traffic control device. A judge decreed that Thomas is prohibited from drinking alcohol and ingesting marijuana. He also must submit to random drug tests and alcohol testing at his cost and cannot possess any firearms. So then Thomas just decided to speak out himself via Instagram, and he was like, my phone's blowing up, everybody's calling me, I'm wondering what's going on. Um, he's sitting coffee while sitting on an airplane, and he's like, then I realized it's the DUI thing that happened last Wednesday. I refused to blow. I spent the night in the hospital because my blood pressure was so high, the bar one owner recalled. They told me I have to turn myself in because there was going to be a warrant, so I did. Turned myself in, bailed myself out in three hours. Then he sarcastically thanked the officers in the experience. Um, he was also seemingly complaining about the situation, saying, of all the venues of all the years I've been in this game, I've never been arrested for a DUI. Then he says, I'm mindful about that. I have a little brother that got killed because of drunk driving, so I'm really mindful about that. He ended the video by thanking fans for their concerns. So it seems to be a little bit of a back and forth. First, he's acting like it's not a big deal, and then he's saying, well, I have a little brother that got killed for something like that, so I'm really mindful. I don't really know what's going on with Peter Thomas these days, but I always pegged him as somebody who was a very responsible individual. This is also somebody who owns many bars, so he better get his shit together. Um, little quick update on the Trace Amigas, just in the sense that there's just more going on between Tamara, Shannon, and Vicky um, in terms of social media posting. So Tamara, as uh, many of you may know, she's in season two of The Traders, which premiered on Peacock on January the 12th, and it's so good. Three episodes have come out, really into it so far. Um, she had posted a poster um, for the show The Traders, and Vicky commented on it being like, perfect show for you, meaning a traitor. And then Tamara tweeted, thank you, I'm honored to be on an Emmy-winning reality show with some of the biggest names in the industry. Sorry you didn't get the call. Better luck next time. Um, it's also been alleged that Alexis Bellino got a formal offer to rejoin the OC. So it's baffling to me how these women can be so close where just a couple months back you have Vicky helping, or sorry, Tamara helping Vicky write her speech for the Bravos and now they're like mortal enemies. And I don't know if Vicky's coming back. She said she wouldn't come back in a friend role. I don't think she's been offered full time. But regardless, the whole Trace Amigas and, you know, um, Shannon and Tamara aren't good. And it's pretty clear here what the storyline is going to be that um, Alexis Bellino and Tamara have mended their issues while Alexis is dating John Jansen on the aftermath of Shannon breaking up with John Jansen and getting arrested for her DUI, right? It's just... I don't know if Tamara deep down actually considers any of these friendships real or if this is just all about her moving forward deep down. I mean, I do understand why she got in a fight with them, but I don't understand why it always has to escalate to this degree. Um, but I guess <laughs> no, we definitely know what the storyline is going to be for next season. Um, in Real Housewives of Beverly Hills news, um, Dorit had mentioned in recent episodes that she was friending or sorry, feeling like her friendship with Kyle was changing and how they don't travel together anymore like they used to. So Kyle had actually addressed this on um, a recent Amazon Live, and she said that Dorit is exaggerating the situation as 
like the show had showed the trips back and they were both family trips that they were on like for the show so she's saying that you know all Dorit is doing is sort of making these seem as if they're bigger than they are and she had only ever done one trip with Dorit as couples like Mauricio Dorit Kyle and PK like they've only done one trip like that ever she also said that Dorit lives down the street and she can call me so it really seems like there's a lot of built-up resentment towards these two and Kyle had sort of talked about it a little earlier on in the season where she said it stemmed from Dorit not backing her up when Kathy with Kathy at the whole last reunion thing but Dorit has also said that she didn't know Kyle fell that way until it came up on the show and in all fairness like I don't know how Kyle expected Dorit to know that I just think Kyle has been going through so many different kinds of changes she had the death of her close friend she had the changes in her relationship with her family like her sisters and i think she just hardened and she's coming to a point where she's just not interested in repairing what isn't working in her life and just focusing on moving forward and being around the people that serve her best right and the people that serve her best are the people that she feels are on her side like a hundred percent of the time right and it's just really sad to see i i really hope these two women can at least literally just walk down the street and speak to each other because it would just be sad to lose a friendship over a misunderstanding you know anyways that's it for news of the week defeats proof timeline screenshot okay guys that's it for i take bravo very seriously for this week thank you so much for listening please rate and review give me a five-star review if you can i really appreciate it it helps expand the audience and move it forward please tell your friends and family anyone that's into bravo to give a listen you can download this podcast on apple Podcasts, amazon google spotify or wherever you get your podcasts please subscribe to my youtube channel at i take bravo very seriously you can also follow me on TikTok at Brunch and Bravo. You can follow me on Instagram at Brunch and Bravo and at I Take Bravo Very Seriously. And um, I hope if there's any more tech issues, I hope to have them fully worked out by next week. I'm still, as I said, you know, just a couple episodes in, so I'm still just working through everything. But thank you guys again. And if you have any ideas or things you want me to talk about or just anything, send me an email or DM, but my email is brunchandbravo at gmail.com. See you next time.